exciting day today because we are wrapping up the book of Ephesians. Um, we started in January. We are ending here in May, right before our Pentecost service. Pentecost is next week. Uh, Pentecost, by the way, is significant because it is the day that the first sermon is preached in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to celebrate that a week from today as we um, celebrate the end of our special collection uh, in, in our giving. And so just to remind folks, that special collection is 14 times our normal, regular sort of weekly contribution. But whatever we give, um, you know, whatever we collect, we're going to celebrate um, next Sunday at the Pentecost service. But for now, gird your loins and put your armor on because it is time for Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Um, an incredible section, one of the more beautiful sections of scripture in the New Testament, beautifully written. Um, and uh, the, the title of my sermon is Fight the True Fight Together. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 right now. Uh, as we wrap up our, uh, our five-month um, treatment of this wonderful book. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, now remember, the Dowdies did a great job talking about all the practical applications of the household. How should mothers act? How should fathers act? How should husbands act? How should uh, wives act? How should kids act? How should uh, subordinates act, you know, employees? Uh, how, should these, how should we act in situations as Christians? Very practical. And that's come after a huge section on peace. You know, that Christ is going to bring peace. Christ is going to be able to bring peace to all who are near, all who are far. Actually, this is a, a verse there from Ephesians 4. It says, Jesus came to preach peace to those who were far and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to one father. So you can see peace, Christ has come, Jews, Gentiles have been brought together. The Gentiles are grafted in. Yes, you get the sense almost that like, this is the end, this is it. But then in verse 10, the author of this book does something interesting. He doesn't say, thanks for coming, the end. He says this. Ephesians 6.10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the, all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you 
Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So an incredible, an incredible passage here at the end, but a unique passage because after talking about Christ bringing peace, he then begins to tell everyone to prepare for war. Now, this is actually, I think, similar to a lot of our um, encounters with Christianity or with Jesus. As we come, we hear peace, deal with your sin, repent and be baptized, and then you get baptized. And a lot of times you're like, okay, peace. Here comes all the peace. Here comes all the goodness, all the easiness. Everything's just going to be easy. I'm going to get that job I want, that wife I want. I'm going to get the kids I want. I'm going to get where I want to live. I'm going to have no problems with my health. It's going to be easy. But then you realize that you are smack dab in the middle of a war zone. And that, yes, yes, Ephesians was not lying, that Christ is here to bring peace. But that peace is not seen full consummation that until peace has been brought and this world actually redeemed, we cannot be deceived. We cannot get it twisted that we are in a war zone. And that war will be won, but for now, we, we have to stand firm. We have to be able to stand firm because we cannot forget that we are in a war. You know, the great quote, right? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he did not exist. The idea that if we can forget that we the real spiritual battle that we are in then the devil can win the fight that that is the greatest trick that is the greatest tactic to forget what is really going on the spiritual battle that ensues now what does he say this is an interesting passage very interesting in the original language because almost every word for armor is a is a word for a piece of roman armor and the Romans, obviously, the greatest, one of the greatest empires in the history of the world. They conquered from Spain, you know, up into Germany, over to uh, the Middle East, down into Africa. I mean, the Romans were the first conquerors. And so they were the kind of the greatest warriors. And so as the author writes this text, he's like, listen, you got to fight like the Romans. You got to have the, the helmet of the Romans and the sword of the Romans. And he's, he's thinking of the greatest weapons he can imagine because, because this is a fight that we need to win. But I think he's also trying to say something. Because anybody back then would have understood what exactly he means when he talks about these Roman pieces of, of weaponry. But it's interesting, as you think about all the things that you're told to put on, what does Satan have in that whole text? What do you see is his one weapon? And it's these flaming arrows, the flaming arrows of the evil one. And that Satan really only has one goal, you know, and, and, and as, as Romans would go into battle, uh, they, would, they would be, you know, in these units of people. And what's the purpose of a flaming arrow? Uh, most people, most other ancient armies who attacked the Romans uh, would use arrows for one reason, and it was to divide. That a flaming arrow especially could eat up the shield, could burn up the shield, could cause fear, cause panic, and divide the units, could divide the people, the, the soldiers. And if enemies could cause division within the Roman military, they could, they could win. And I think when, when the author writes flaming arrows, he's saying, this is the same goal of Satan today, to cause division, to cause, now he does it in a lot of ways, as we'll talk about in just a second, but the, the result is division. You know, it's probably the Holy Spirit that this morning the soldiers read Ephesians 4, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to stay unified. Do everything you can. Don't let those flaming arrows divide you. And so not only do we have to remember that we are in a real battle, 
And I think sometimes we forget that we are in a real battle. I think sometimes we begin to give our passions to other battles in our life. We begin to spend all of our energy fighting a political battle or a, a family battle or a battle uh, in our career or a battle within our families. Or we begin to fight these battles that can come as a distraction to the real battle. We cannot forget that we are in that, that good fight. But how does division occur? It's a good question. How does division occur in our lives? And any number of ways, right? We could do a year-long series on the divisions that can come from the flaming arrows. But I think just a few come to mind, especially in our culture. You know, one of the things this passage says is that there's, there's actually a spiritual enemy. And I think sometimes we hear spiritual and we think fake or mystical or kind of fluffy spirits, but these spirits have real power. It's not just like, oh yeah, we as, a, as a culture, we struggle with individualism. No, individualism is a demon, is a god, is a spiritual being with power. Materialism, careerism, uh, uh, rom you know, uh, romantic love. Uh, these are all gods. They're all deities. They're all, they all have power. And we have, to, we have to get our armor on to fight against those evil spirits, those evil deities. Because as much as we kind of don't, don't live in a world that talks like that, we can see the effect. Everybody in our world is praising or worshiping something, right? You can see it. You can see it easily in sports. They show up there. They spend $500 to go to a game, right? And they, they worship the team. They, they paint their bodies. They scream. They yell. This is a, this is a god to them in some ways. Right. And so everybody's worshiping something. And we as Christians, especially in the time of COVID-19, where it's so easy kind of to just be in the monotony of every day, like what day is it? Is it Monday? Is it Tuesday? Is it I don't know where I am or what I'm doing. It's easy to just kind of chill and to forget that we are still in a battle uh, against the evil spirits of our age. And no matter what they are, whether it's romantic love or independence or materialism or careerism or success that all of these can cause division. And why? Well, because they're things we are attracted to because we, we look for them, we look in them, uh, things that we can only really get from God. It's a romantic partner. We think, well, they're finally going to make me feel like I have intimacy in my life. Independence. I'm finally going to feel like I'm in charge. I'm finally going to feel like I'm comfortable with materialism. If I can uh, get high enough in my career, then I'll finally be something. If I can be successful as a parent, then I'll finally be at peace, right? Peace, intimacy, love. Those are only things that God can provide. But we look for them in these other things. And then the flaming arrows come and it's easy to get divided. And it's easy to lose sight of what's going on. You know, a couple of historians were talking, uh, were actually writing about what made the Roman military so, so incredible. And they had this, this beautiful idea uh, of the next person up mindset, you know, the next man up mindset, is that they weren't so interested in who had the talent or ability to fight, but they cared more and they trusted more in their incredible and thorough armor. That if they had the armor, that if somebody was hurting, they could just slide somebody else in. And this is kind of what it would look like is you have, and this is only 16 guys, right? 16 people. And you have the shields up in front, the shields up over the top. And as long as you had the armor, and as long as you stayed together, you're going to be okay. And so, you know, one thing I think we need to remember as, as, as a family of Christ, especially in a time 
of the coronavirus and how easy it is to be scattered and how easy it is to become independent, how easy it is to, to lose sight of how, how important it is to be unified, is to stay together. We gotta stay together. You know, the flaming arrows can do nothing if we stay together. Now, how do we stay together if we can't be physically together? You know, and, and you know what's great is, you know, you know why we have a New Testament, pretty much? It's because people in certain cities wrote down things and then sent them to other people in other cities. These are the letters. These are the correspondence. This is the correspondence of Christians. They didn't have Zoom or cell phones or anything. They wrote letters. And it took months to get there. And sometimes the letters didn't get there. And sometimes, you know, the, the, the letters got confused along the way. You know, a lot of people think that Ephesians itself is what's called an encyclical letter. It's a letter that was written for actually several churches and was supposed to, it had a, it had a blank and you just put your church's name in there. It would say to the church in Laodicea, to the church in Charlottesville, to the church in Birmingham, Alabama. And it was this kind of general theological truth to encourage all the churches. But the reason we even have the New Testament is because Christians before 2000 years ago, before Zoom, before cell phones, made every effort to stay connected. And for them, it was finding parchment and ink and writing down a limited space, right? It was actually probably, it was a little bit more than Twitter. You had 150, probably more than 150 characters. But you still had to write, right, right there and then send it. That was the way they could be connected. If they were in the same city, they could be physically connected. But if they weren't, oftentimes they had to rely on prayer and they had to rely on letters. And so I think this morning, church, we've got to ask ourselves, how are we going to stay together? I think we know how we can stay together. The question is not how can we stay together? The question is how is our effort in staying together? How is your effort? How many calls have you made? How many letters have you written? Maybe you don't like any of those things. That's okay. How many voicemails have you left? Um, how many, there's so many things you could do, right? There's so many, so many things. And if you can't do any of it, you could pray. And there's so many things we can do to stay together. And I want to encourage us this morning to remember how important it is to stay together. It's not let anyone wander off from this group to be taken apart and divided by the flaming arrows of the evil one. In addition to staying together, we got to stay armored, right? We got to stay armored. The passage there says, be strong in the Lord. And some of you are thinking, but I'm not, I'm not that strong. You know, the Roman soldiers weren't that strong. You think the Italians were just like the strongest people in the world and at that time? <laughs> no, they were not. They weren't like physically superior. They had great armor and they stayed together. And so the next man up theory is just built on this idea of put on the armor, put on the armor. Anyone can step up. Anyone can lead. Anyone can have an idea. Anyone can move the group forward because it's not about you. It's about the armor. And, and look, look at this just in the first sentence. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in, in the Lord, not be strong in yourself. Put on the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Look at that repetition of he says it in like, Half a sentence, put on everything, do everything you can, put on his strength. A lot of us, we often sing the hymn, Soldiers of Christ Arise, right? Soldiers of Christ Arise, I won't sing it, I'm really tempted to, but I won't. Soldiers of Christ Arise and put your armor on, right? Strong in the strength which God supplies through his beloved son. That is the goal, that is the point, to, to put on the strength to his strength, put on Christ's strength. So hopefully we can all just take a big, exhale there and say, but I'm no good. I'm no good. I'm no good over the phone. I'm boring over the phone. Congratulations. That's okay. It's not about you or your ability to be charismatic over the phone. I don't know if I ever told this story, but I, um, there was a guy in, in Richmond who called me once and he, and he said, Hey, 
I've been listening to the podcast about two years ago, and I want to come to church in Charlottesville with you guys because I love your preaching. And I said, okay, cool, but we have a sister church in Richmond, and um, you, it's a lot closer. He goes, no, I want to come. I want to come to you guys because I just I love your preaching. I said, okay, that's up to you. But I'm not very good over the phone. I have kind of a deep voice. People often think I've just woken up from a nap when I answer the phone. It's a very common thing in my life. They're like, did you just wake up? No, this is just how I sound. But, um, but then he, after the phone call, he goes, you know what? I don't think I'm going to come anymore because you're not nearly as charismatic over the phone as you are in your preaching. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, sorry, man. That's a, that's a bummer. But you should still go to church, you know, maybe not base it so much off of like, you know, someone's charisma. But amen, it was just, he actually ended up coming to going to church in Richmond, which is great. But, but I think it's just funny sometimes we can put that pressure on ourselves, you know, and like, oh, we have to do this, we have to do that. Just put on the armor, put on the armor. That's going to end up being what actually, and he ended up going to church in Richmond. And as far as I know, he was well-connected. Like he didn't, he just needs God. He doesn't need someone to sound good, right? Even though sometimes we think that's what we need. But we got to put the armor on. We got to stay together. And how do we do it? Well, through three Ps, preaching, praying, and passion. And the verse says it very clearly. Look at all, look at this. I've highlighted it just for, for effect. But it says at the very end of this verse, and pray. Because he's talking very generally. Put on the armor. Make sure you get the right shoes. Like, how do you get shoes of, you know, that are ready? How do you get a shield of faith? How do you get a helmet of salvation? Like, should we go down to the store and just buy everything? I don't, that's not how it works. How do you actually get that stuff? And Paul says, you know how? I'm going to repeat it like six times in this next sentence. Prayer. Prayer. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying. Look at that. Pray in the Lord in all occasions, all kinds of prayers. Always keep on praying. He's just like, never, never, never stop praying. Prayer is the great connector. Prayer is the great the great way to, to be connected to one another and the, and the great way to actually ask God for help and not put it on us. You know, a lot of us think, well, I haven't been in a Bible study in a long time. Have you been praying about it? I was convicted by this recently. You know, I was convicted by, have I been praying for my neighbor? I've been praying for, for him to become a disciple. You know, and I used to, but I stopped at some point. Why did I stop? Now I was challenged by that. You know, but always keep on praying, always keep on praying. And then he, he has this moment of vulnerability. And I think this is key if we're going to stay together too, is vulnerability. It's so easy to be, to be connected when some, with somebody when you're vulnerable. But boy, is it tough, right, to say that I'm hurting or what you said hurt me or I'm sad or I'm scared or I'm afraid. All those things make us vulnerable, but we don't like saying them. But look what Paul does. This is incredible. He says, pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. He says, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Where's Paul right now? The dude is more socially isolated than any of y'all. Any of, he's not, it's not me. He's in prison. He sees like a rotation of a Roman prison guard, like once every, I don't know, day. I don't, I don't know the rotation schedule for the Roman prison uh, you know, environment back then, but he doesn't see it. Paul's like, you know what? Pray for me to share my faith with the one guy I see every day. <laughs> like this is, this is on Paul's mind. Pray for me to be bold and fearless and to share my faith even though I see one person a day. This is Paul's heart. And, but he says, help me. Because the implication is he's beginning maybe to struggle. 
Maybe he needs prayers because he's beginning to not be fearless. Maybe he's being fearful. Maybe he's being hopeless. Maybe he's beginning to struggle. But Paul says, pray for me, brothers and sisters. Pray for me. Now, we don't always get a chance to do this, but with Ephesus, we can do this. We're going to actually jump into our DeLorean and go into the future and be able to see what this church ends up like. And in Revelation chapter 2, this is written by Jesus to the church in Ephesus. Jesus says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. The church in Ephesus began to persevere. They hung in there, but with no passion, with no love. And, and I think that this is a real danger, that even as we look into 20, 30 years after this letter, that the church in Ephesus has, they're still there, but are they passionate? Are they loving? You know, are they more like a, like a gym membership? Are, they, are the friendships in the church in Ephesus more like someone you see at the grocery store or someone in your PTA meeting? Or is it still supernatural love, supernatural friendship? And it seems like they've lost a lot of that. And a lot of times when we begin to persevere without love, it becomes a grind. We endure without passion. It is, it's a grind. It's annoying. It, it begins like, oh, just do, do the right thing. Do the right thing. Just do it. So it's not enough just to hang on there, stand firm. We've got to have a passion. We've got to have zeal. We've got to, we've, got, we've got to still have our heart behind it. That's, that's crucial. You know, as, as one, um, let's see if I have it here. Yeah, I think I had it at one point. Here it is. Um, truth without enthusiasm, morality without emotion, ritual without soul are the things that Christ unsparingly condemned. Destitute of fire, they are nothing more than a godless philosophy, an ethical system, and a superstition. You know, it, passion is, it just becomes a godless philosophy or, or a, a dead religion if we're just doing things with no heart behind it. But the question is, how do we do it, right? A Roman centurion, according to Polybus, had to be the kind of man who could be relied upon. When hard-pressed, to stand fast and not give way. And the same quality is necessary in the spiritual welfare. You know, one of the most um, inspiring things to the Roman soldiers was to actually not see their general or their commander sitting on a horse wave behind them, but to actually join the ranks and fight with them. And that's actually what gave Julius Caesar so much acclaim, is that he actually fought with his soldiers. He, he risked his life when he, he was actually, he was going to be the emperor, he still risked his life to fight alongside his soldiers. And if we're looking for inspiration this morning or enthusiasm or passion, or we've lost it, then the only thing that we need to do is begin to look to the one who's gone first, look to the commander who didn't just fight alongside us, but fought before us. And he didn't have a bunch of other soldiers around him to protect him from flaming arrows. He was alone. And he took those flaming arrows for us, not because of duty, not because of religiosity, but because he loves you that it was passion that drove Christ beyond all comprehension to do what was necessary to cover over the sins of many. And as we talked about the three Ps, preaching, he left us a great example of preaching and praying. Mark 1, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also, for that is why I have come. Uh, we can't forget our mission. 
You know, the mission is to preach the gospel, to save the lost. And Jesus didn't forget that. What about prayer? In Mark 9, Jesus had gone indoors. His disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus said, this kind can only come out by prayer. Jesus spent his time on earth really doing two things. He was preaching to the lost and preaching to the poor. He was praying. This is essentially the gist of what Jesus does throughout the entire gospel narrative. And why does he do it? Because of 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ, that love of Christ controls us. Since we have concluded this, that Christ died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, should no longer live in isolation, should no longer live in independence, should no longer live thinking, I don't need anybody else, should no longer live thinking, I'm fine alone, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And as I share that quote one more time, that, that passion is crucial. And I think sometimes we have no passion for Jesus because we've given our passion to something else. If we were as passionate about spiritual matters as we are about our professions or our jobs, the devil would shudder. If we were as enthusiastic about saving souls as we are about our bottom line, the waters of baptism would not stop stirring in Charlottesville and Harrisonburg. If we were as devoted to the poor as we are to the watching of our favorite Netflix shows, the demons would flee in terror. Too often our passions are given away to things that will, that will go nowhere and do nothing and in the end be vanity. And I think we have to remember to give our passion to, to the one who deserves it, to Christ, to not forget the mission and to ask for help, to be a church that even though we're scattered, we're, we're a church scattered in person, but steadfast in prayer. We can do that. We can do that now. We're a church scattered in person, but steadfast in preaching. Maybe you only see one person a day, and it's your child. You can still ask your child to study the Bible, can't you? Maybe they don't want to. You can ask them to pray. You can ask them to have a quiet time. You can ask them if you can pray for them. There's always someone to reach out to. Always. Always. A church scattered in person, but steadfast in passion. And to remember the words of the great Charles Wesley hymn, Soldiers of Christ arise and put your armor on strong in the strength which God supplies through his eternal son. Let's go ahead and take the bread and the juice if we're able to at this time and have communion together. And then we'll close out with a final song. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Will Portillo. And if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or connect with us on Facebook at Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Visit us on YouTube and subscribe for weekly sermons, encouraging news, and short devotionals. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next time.